The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. How majestic, how beautiful God is. And as He is seated on His throne, there are these burning ones that are standing before Him. It's the word seraphim here. Do you see that? Interestingly enough, it's the only time used in the scriptures. It literally means seraphim. Are they like the cherubim angels? Probably so. Something like that. But what is most uh, uh, significant about them in verse 2, you see these burning ones giving him glory and honor, but also because they are before him, they must cover themselves because God in all of his glory cannot be beheld by mere creatures. Even Isaiah's vision is, is not a complete one, but a, but a grand one. But here these seraphim, notice what they do with their six wings. They use four, are used to cloak their creatureliness in humility, and two are used to carry out their service to fly. See this, they're covering their face because no one can truly look upon the Lord and live, right? Moses could not. He asked to see the glory of the Lord and God hid him in the cleft of the rock and only gave him a glimpse. They cover their feet also. Our feet are a sign of, of our creatures. It's, a, it's a, a sign of respect for holiness. We, 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 we cover our feet. We, do not, we could not stand before God looking at him, showing our feet with two then with used for service. And as they are up there, notice what they are saying. You see that? You see the song? We've, we've sung it in one sense in verse 3 here. But this is what, whenever we get a glimpse into the throne room in Revelation here in Isaiah and other times, it is always the hosts of heaven are singing to God about God, proclaiming his glory and his splendor. You see this, they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Do you think they have a stutter? No, it is not a stutter. It is a repetition for emphasis. Did you know that all, of all the attributes about God, none in the scriptures are repeated three times like this? We haven't seen uh, love, 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 or mercy, 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 or marvelous, 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 of all those things that are true of God, yes, but his defining most distinct and most unique attribute is his holiness. Is God's complete separation, his complete uniqueness in both spiritual ways and, uh, and moral ways, his uniqueness, his perfection, unlike any other thing in this earth. It is repeated three times to be the superlative. That God is most holy, the only one who is holy, the only one who is absolute in his perfection and his purity and his uniqueness held out here, and the whole earth is full of his glory. If only we would look, if only we would see. As we look around, we see God at work through the intricacies of nature, through the, uh, the majestic, uh, the majesty rather, of the heavens, through how our life is lived. The whole earth is full of God's glory. And when they are saying this, the building is shaking. Aren't these great words? Like as, you, as your view of God is elevated, as you think of who God is, doesn't that just put a, a song on your heart? Like don't you just, aren't you left in awe of saying, God, this is, this is who you are. You are holy, holy, holy. As I was in this this week, studying it, pouring over this, letting it have its effect on my heart, there was a song that kept coming back onto my heart. It's the old traditional hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. You familiar with it? 
Are you familiar with that song? I want us to actually sing it. Um, you want to sing right now? You want to sing it right now? Let's, let's do that. Aaron, why don't you come and lead us in, uh, in the song here? Because as we get this view of who God is, what can we but do but sing out of, uh, as we gain an understanding that God is most holy? And this song has captured those words for generations, for people to sing of the holiness of God. So we're going to do something untraditional. Why don't we stand? Because we sing better when we stand. I'm going to turn my mic off because you don't want me to sing. But Aaron will uh, uh, lead us. What a great song, right? Go ahead and be seated. You know, I think it's good for us as our view of God is elevated, as we see him for who he is, to break out in song, to worship him. Whether we're a good singer or not, whether we have a, a piano to accompany us or not, but going vertical begins with the eyes. And then it goes to the heart as we elevate our view of God, seeing him for who he truly is as holy, 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 perfect in power and love and purity, experiencing his glory and presence in our life and recognizing that God is above all, that he is holy, 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 and the whole earth is full of his glory. We go vertical. Maybe your perspective needs to change a bit. Maybe your perspective is, is on yourself. You have an elevated view of yourself. But let me tell you that the seraphim do not cover themselves when they see us. They don't sing of our holiness. There is one to whom that belongs. Amen? Amen. There is one to whom holiness belongs. There is none like our God. And when we come to grips with that, that is when the next point happens. That's when we expose the severity of our sin because look at here, Isaiah gets this high view of God. He sees this view of God on his throne. That the, the foundations of the whole building were shaking. Smoke is in the building. He's encountered the greatness of God, and yet it makes him feel small. And when we experience the holiness of God, it exposes us. It shines the light on the fact that we are not. And as we lift our eyes to the Lord, it drops us to our knees in humility. It's as if, it's, it, it's, well, look at here what verse 5 says. Look at his response. He sees this view, and look what he says. He says, woe is me, right? He's undone. And then he says, I am lost. He's, he's, he's hopeless. He's seen who God is. He's like, what, what can I do? I'm, I'm lost. And furthermore, I'm a man of unclean lips, and everyone else is. He said, I'm contaminated, and everybody else is. That's not a great place to be in, right? He's hopeless, he's helpless, and he's contaminated. Whew. Now that his eyes have seen the King, the Lord, Yahweh of hosts, this God's brilliant light has exposed Isaiah for who he is and the situation in which he finds himself right? It's as if this bright light has shone upon his life. Who's ever been in an operating room, in the surgical room, and been awake? I mean, that's maybe, I've, I've been, had surgeries, but uh, never been awake, but I have actually been in the operating room uh, as moral support through two uh, cesareans, 
And it's bright and brilliant, right? Like every light they have in the room and shining from all different directions so that there's no shadow in there, right? And the doctors and the nurses, they have overhead bright lights to shine down upon the workspace in which, you know, wherever they're working on your body. It's bright, it's brilliant, there's no shadows, but it's so they can see exactly what they're dealing with. It's so they can see the infected area, the diseased area that they need to remove. It's so they can see with with, uh, un hindered vision exactly what they are after in the body and in the uh, room. And that's what God's holiness does to us. As God's holiness, as we come and stand before it, it exposes our sinfulness. This effect also is why I've seen uh, just in my own pastoral experience and and, uh, working with and ministering to uh, elderly saints, those who've been following the Lord a long time later in life, they have a greater reality, a greater understanding and recognition of their own sinfulness before the Lord. And when I first encountered this, I remember thinking like, what do you mean? You've been following the Lord for like 70 years. You don't sin at all. Like, well, how, what can you, how can you sit and you don't like, you don't have access to the internet, you can't go out, you can't cut people off. Like, what do you, like, how do you, how are you? But I think as they grow in their, their, their faith, as they get closer to the Lord, they see God for who he is and they're maturing in their faith. They realize with a greater sense of just how great God is and how great they are not. But beloved, don't let this, don't let this, don't let this drop us because this is, this is good. Romans 2 says that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And the closer we are to the Lord in his presence, the more that we uh, know our unworthiness and our uncleanliness, that, that we know with a greater sense that we have no right to be here. That we have, we, we have done nothing to earn the status which God has given us. We're not a celebrity. We're not like super Christians. But when we are confronted with the holiness of God, we are also subsequently confronted with the radical depravity of our own heart and the fallenness of the world around us. But that only happens when we see the Lord, when we've seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And that is what we want. We want to know the Lord. And so this must be a good thing because don't miss the next point here. Don't, don't miss what happens in verse Verse 6, yes, his, the severity of his sin is exposed, but we also can embrace God's grace. Look here at verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. Do you see this? The one of the burning ones comes to Isaiah in his low estate, in his humility, without any prompting, and extends God's grace, which Isaiah immediately embraces. You see this reading it, we almost don't expect it. We see, we come out of verse five and we're like, wow, Isaiah is pretty low. Yeah, we've been exposed to the goodness of God. We've been brought pretty low, but don't miss this. Don't miss this here. The seraphim, he can't touch the coal. It's too hot. It's too, right? He uses a tongue. He takes a coal from the altar, what is left from what has been sacrificed. So see the altar here. Something has been sacrificed. There's a hot coal left and the seraphim comes, a burning one with the tongs, takes it. And what does he do? He goes and he cauterizes the area that has been confessed as unclean. He goes and look at verse 7, and he touched my mouth. And then that seraphim makes two declarations that you are no longer guilty and someone else has paid for it. 
Do you see this? Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Atonement or atoning, this is a big uh, spiritual word. It's one of those like top dollar ones, but I don't want you to miss it because to atone means that a debt has been satisfied. And it really means two things here, that your sin has been taken care of. You're no longer guilty and someone else paid for it. Someone else paid for it. Beloved, this is the gospel. Are you seeing that? As you're like gospel light going off, you're like, what's the gospel? It's the good news of Jesus Christ, right? It's the fact that God exists, is holy, and we are not, and we are separated from God, and something had to be done to fix this in order for us to be in relationship with him, and that was Christ. Christ was the sacrificial lamb on that altar, and the result of what happened as he was sacrificed on the cross enables us to have new life. That's the definition of grace, receiving something that you have not, received, have not deserved, that you have done nothing to earn. You have received it. And so can I just appeal to you, to, to those that are maybe feeling the weight of sin this morning? Maybe you are crushed by something. Maybe you've gone into 2018 and you're like, I don't want that life anymore. I don't, I'm, I'm, I, that is in the past but I want something to be different and I don't know exactly what it is. Could it be, I would be willing to bet and would appeal with you that the way it is different is by embracing God's grace for you. Embracing God's grace for you. See, this is what happens. It's as if a messenger, and picture me maybe as a messenger. I don't have any like sort of holy powers or anything like that. I'm just a messenger like someone who's come and said, this is what has happened. This is who God is. This is who you are. This is what has taken place on this altar. This is who Jesus is. And by repenting of the sin, saying, yeah, God, I am apart from you. I can't do that. Your guilt has been paid for by someone else. Place your faith in that one. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. He is the one who has extended that grace all these areas of sin, all the things that you're wronging to get rid of, it's found, the answer is found in the gospel, in good news. It's as if those things that have separated, just like pride, crushed. Self-centeredness, gone. The, the satisfaction that you had, satisfied in Christ. The gospel is the answer to each thing. Purposelessness, gone. It's all gone. It's gone. It's found in Christ. It's found in who he is. All those things, you know, can be found in him. Don't leave without, without doing that today. Don't leave without embracing who Christ is. Maybe you came in and maybe you're expecting for, you know what, 2018 is going to be a new day. I'm coming to church. I'm, I'm going to be here. I want to hear from God. I want to do this. Maybe you didn't come in. Maybe you just walked in. You're like, I heard about this church. I want to come in. I don't know. But whatever it is, don't miss what God wants to do in your life today. Maybe you're counting the cost in your heart right now. Maybe you're counting the cost. You're like, yeah, well, that means I have to give up this. Yes, I, I'm going to have to change that. I'm going to have to stop doing this. I'm going to have to, I can't be around these people anymore. Whatever that means in your life, I'll tell you that it's good. Embracing God's grace, whatever the cost, the return is greater, guaranteed, and more eternal than whatever it is you're leaving behind. Embrace God's grace for you. Would you do that today? Embrace God's grace, but it doesn't stop there doesn't stop there. 
If we want to live a vertical life, we first must elevate our view of God. We've got to see God for who he is. When we do that, yeah, it puts us in our place. Now, this isn't just a one-time thing. This is as we grow in our life, even to the point where we are nearing death, we are still always exposed to the fact that we, our sin is great and it separates us from the Lord, but God's grace is greater than that. But look at where it goes here. We must engage in mission. You see where verse 8 goes to? Once you embrace God's grace, then you are thrust into a life of mission. Look at verse 8. Look, it's the Lord himself who commissions. It's not the the seraphim anymore. It bypasses this. When I was reading this this week, it just kind of jumped off the page. I never never noticed this before. It's the seraphim who make the declarations that your sin is atoned for. But then it's as if God takes back the mic and he says, okay, now that you're saved, now go live a life of mission. He asks two great questions. What does he say there? Do you see it in verse 8? He says, yeah, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Isn't the, what we just saw was the greatest message ever, that God is holy and God is good, God is love. There is, there, and our sin is great, but there is an answer. There is a solution for the problem. Isn't that the greatest news ever? And he's saying, well, who's going to go and tell others about it? And this comes directly from the boss bypassing. It comes directly from the Lord. All right, now who's going to go? Who can we, the us here? It's probably reference to the Trinity, reference to God's people here. Who's going to go? And notice, without skipping a beat, then immediately, what is Isaiah volunteers? Ooh, ooh, I'll go. Here I am. I'm, hey, I'm right here. Ain't got nothing else to do. Like here, right, right here. I'll go. I'll do it. He knows it's a privilege, right? He knows he's not entitled to anything. He's just been exposed. He said, woe is me. I can't do anything. I'm a man of unclean lips. And now that I've, that I've had a changed life, what else could I do? I'll go. I'll do it. He knows that apart from God's grace, he would never be considered and assigned for this great task. He doesn't even know the particulars of what he's signing up for yet. I just says, hey, can I get a volunteer? He says, yes, here I am. And then in verse 9, all that kind of crazy uh, stuff that I read, maybe you're like, what does this all mean? Well, let me just tell you, it's, it's not exciting. The message that he gets is pretty difficult, actually. He says, I'm, I'm going to commission you, in Isaiah's case, he says, I'm going to commission you to go preach to a people for decades who aren't going to listen to you, who are just going to reject it, who are going to ridicule you, who are eventually going to be destroyed and taken into captivity. But here's the hope. It's in the last verse there, the hope. Verse 13, he says, but a tenth, a remnant will remain. And that very last phrase, and the holy seed is its stump, a veiled reference to the coming Savior. Remember, this was written, maybe you don't know, but this was written before Jesus came. And so now what God is saying, Isaiah, here's your message. You're going to go, it's going to be crazy difficult. Nobody's going to want to listen to you. Nobody's going to embrace it. You're going to see very little fruit. But the hope, the silver lining, what is at the end is that there will be a remnant. There will be some who will be saved. And most importantly, out of that will come the Savior of the world. That's incredible. That's incredible. So beloved, to live a vertical life, we must engage in mission. We must engage in mission. To sum it up here, to say it real briefly, is that the way up is down and then out. The way up to live a vertical life is first down in humility and then out. The way up to be made right with the Lord is first up 
Turn your way up, you turn your, your tension up, then down, and then out. And this is a biblical principle for all of life. This isn't just for what we're looking at here. Yes, it's applicable, but this is, uh, this is applicable for everything that you find yourself in life. You're in a rocky marriage. How do you want to fix it? Well, first, get the right view of what God has to say about marriage and about your marriage. Humble yourself and then go towards the people, not out. Don't, don't uh, misconstrue the book. I said, I can get out of this, okay? Okay, go towards it. Sometimes that's possible. Sometimes, you know, I get it's difficult, but this is the way that we go. The way up is down and then out, humbling ourselves towards the Lord. You're in, just in life. Maybe you're difficult with uh, parenting things or in, in work. The way up, to way to reconcile, if we want to be right with the Lord, is first to see what does God want, to humble ourselves, and then to move towards, to move out. But God is calling us to a mission. See, this is what happens. When you experience the glory of God, when you know who God is and who he says he is, we've truly experienced him and you love him and you know his love for you, it, casts, it pushes you out into greater mission right away. This is what we see in Isaiah's life. This is what we see all throughout the New Testament. We could have picked a, a handful of verses from the New Testament. Jesus calls his disciples and immediately tells them to follow me. Follow me. And so this is what God is calling us to do. He's telling us in 2018, if we want to live a vertical life as a vertical church, we elevate our view, we expose our sin, we embrace his grace, and we engage in mission. And so to help us do this, I've got a, I've got a special challenge and a special emphasis that I want us to engage in for the month of January to help us in these things. Last week, we talked about our, our goals. We want to increase our, our boldness in prayer. We want to increase our, our fervency in, in prayer and our boldness in our witness. We want to do these. I've created these five-by-five five cards you have them there? Maybe you're sitting on them. Hopefully, maybe, maybe there's one of those things you pushed aside. Maybe you initially didn't sit in a seat because you thought somebody was saving that seat, but it's really then you found there on every seat. There are these five for five things. And I want you to prayerfully consider something here with me for the month of January. Who are five people that you can pray for for five minutes a day? Call it a five for five challenge. I do this uh, every once in a while. It's not uh, unique to me. But it's just, who are five people that God has put in my life, maybe neighbors, maybe coworkers, maybe friends, maybe family, whoever they are, who are five people in my life that for this month I will commit to praying five minutes a day for, okay? That I will look for an opportunity to serve. On the backside, it's, it shows you all the things that you would commit to in doing that. That I would look for a, an opportunity to serve, that's, that definition is broad. I can make a meal. I can help them out. Maybe it's somebody that you know that's just in a rough spot in their life right now. How can I serve that person? How can I invite them to church or invite them to our small groups? Which one are they kicking off? This week. That's right. More about that in a minute. Small groups are kicking off. But who can I invite them to? Who needs a biblical community? Who needs a fresh start in 2018? Who needs something new? Take these, write them down, Pray for them, engage them, and watch God work, okay? Watch God work. Maybe, maybe you've got six. Maybe you've got seven people. Maybe you've got ten. Well, you can take a few extras. There's some more by the door. Um, we've also put these little cards, things down. If these help you to uh, um, pass out to say, hey, I want to invite you to church. Here's our church. We meet at Fryhide Elementary, 10 a.m. on Sundays. Um, what are we about? There's a, some information on the back. So that's what those are there for but I want to equip you. God is saying, hey, who will, I, who, will, who will go for us? Who can I send? We're saying here as a church, we will. 
We will. We will engage. We want to be a vertical church. And a vertical church is, is a church of people, of God's people, engaging in mission, living out, praying for, serving, inviting, welcoming, loving people that God has put into our life. See, beloved, this is what we do. This is what God has called his people to do. This is what he's called his church to do. This is how we go vertical. Let's pray. God in heaven, um, we like Isaiah say, here we are. Here we are. We will go for you. We've seen who you are. We have proclaimed with our life that you are holy. So God, would you help us now? Would you help us as we are thinking through these things, as people come to mind, God, as people come to mind that we can engage in mission, that we can commit to praying for, God, there are people that we want to see you at work in their life. But God, this begins with a, a greater glimpse of who you are. So here, God, we just say, to you be the glory, to you be the glory in our life and in our church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.